You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 51. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. My name is Jesse Mogul. This is From Sobriety to Recovery. And as always, I am in addiction recovery. And man, oh man, has it been a wild, wild week. While I have another podcast called College Success Habits, where I, you know, specifically speak to college students and, and the like, and you know, it's really a show very similar to this one. It's it's meant for everyone, but it's just framed around the college experience. This one, um, from sobriety to recovery, is is truly like my little baby. This is this is really more of a audio vlog, blog, diary kind of situation where I talk about things that I'm experiencing and then, you know, paint them into a context that I I hope resonate with you and speak to you and can help you grow grow and heal. And there's been a couple things um, that were brought up to me through some direct messages um, earlier this week that I wanted to touch upon. And I don't write them down in my show notes, but let me pull this up real fast. And I went and found my show notes. Now I got them. All right, good times there. So the two things, uh, one particular person was 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 sending me some DMs and had brought up suicide and how things were just becoming very, very painful and very, very difficult to manage. Um, somebody else had brought up um, Narcotics Anonymous and how everyone in there um, really hyper-focuses on addiction and how they're addicts. And so I wanted to touch upon these two things today because I put a lot of thought into them and because I had I just got done doing the speech of my life. Um, so, you know, right now I'm an up and coming keynote speaker. And so I, I'm still at the beginning stages of this career. I'm still learning the right ways to, to tell the stories and, and to communicate with the audience and, and you know, to give them value because the audience audiences want value. That's why they're there. They're there to learn something, hear something, have it resonate. It's why I think about this show and what I'm going to talk about so much, right? Because the audience in, 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 you're supposed to be, the audience is selfish. They want something out of it. You're giving me your time, of which I'll never really know that you're doing because it's not like I get a report that tells me every single person who listens to the show, but you're giving me your time, right? Time is the most valuable resource you have. Time is the most expensive thing that that you have. Every time you spend time on something, you're spending your life, your metaphorical life money on that thing. And if I'm one of those things, you deserve to get value and you deserve to learn something or hear something that resonates with you. So when I was taught, when I first got into speaking, that the audience is extremely selfish and you have to make it about what's in it for them, that resonated with me because I understand that because I listen to a ton of podcasts and I read a ton of books and I go to a ton of workshops. And so I want things to resonate. I want to learn a new technique. I want to hear something that's going to change the way that I think that could ultimately change my life. And so I think about this stuff. And whenever I put together this speech on Saturday, my big, it was easily the biggest audience I've ever had. Um, it was easily the, the, the most well-rounded one. It was, it was just absolutely spectacular. And I talked about um, the, um, the human experiential model, the belief wheel, um, the, the self-coaching model. It's, it's been taught to me many different ways. But it's all about how circumstances trigger thoughts, which cause feelings, drive actions, create results. 
over and over and over again. I've talked about this. I don't know if I've ever given it one whole episode because I think I've tried and I've butchered it so badly that it didn't even sound good. (laughs) So I just walked away from the episode and knew one day it would work. I'm still not saying that that's what this episode's going to be about it now. But when you spend 20 hours building a, a, a speech that could have easily been a, an hour that they made me cut down into 10 minutes. It's You really start to have a, I, I do anyways, I have a completely different experience now with this model about how circumstances trigger thoughts, which cause feelings, which drive actions, which create results. And those results become evidence for your belief system. And your belief system is where all of your thoughts start. I have a whole whole thing I could talk about that, but every thought you have comes in what, and then the feeling that comes with it, it all comes from an experience that you've had. It, it comes from something that you've seen, done, heard, uh, it could have happened around you or to you, or it doesn't matter. Once it, once it, once it goes in through your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your, your sense of touch, whatever it is, it becomes uh, an experience that you've had, and then that a thought comes with it, then it comes a feeling, and an action, and a result. And again, you've been having these since you were in the womb. Hell, I believe in reincarnation. You've got, <laughs> you've got experiences you're still working through from your past lives. So. There's a lot to unwrap there, and we're not even going to begin to get into it because I really want to focus more on the on 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 the the depression and the thoughts of suicide that are rampant in our community, and how that becomes a fixture of your identity. And the reason why I want to com- discuss these along with the conversation about um, Narcotics Anonymous or even Alcoholics Anonymous constantly with this, you know, I am Jesse, I am an addict kind of thing, right? You go into these meetings and that's what they're wanting you to say because that comes down to identity. And when we latch certain things into our identity, when certain things that we've thought, said, heard, whatever, become so embedded into our identity. And then if those things are negative, if they make us feel sad, then we start having all of these depressive, sad things just add up, add up, add up, add up, add up, add up. And before you know it, you know, you've been an alcoholic and a drug addict for 22 years. The depression is so deep, you can't even begin to think about how you're going to get out of it. And the thoughts of suicide are just pulsating through your head constantly. Right, And so when these two different people were conversating with me about this stuff, yet at the same time, one leads to the other, which leads to the other, right? It's a a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a loop, right? If you constantly tell yourself that you're an addict, 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 and that makes you feel sad and depressed and sad and depressed, and even if you're not using, but then, oh, heaven forbid, if you relapse, oh my God, now I'm a failure. Now I've, oh, look what I've done. I've relapsed and all these promises I made myself, I can't, and now I'm even sadder and more depressed. And My wife hates me and my husband hates me and my kids, they definitely hate me. And now why do I even exist? And then next thing you know, suicide thoughts, right? So, Let's bring it down into a calmer state for a second because I got a little hyper there. Your identity is the thoughts you have about yourself. Your identity is not what somebody else tells you that it is. That is their opinion. On this this little on this cycle, on this model that I just told you about, where circumstances trigger thoughts, which, which cause feelings. A circumstance is a fact, right? So if somebody says, um, you're worthless, and this is why, I've, this is why I don't always talk about this, because 
the fact that they said that to you is, is a fact that actually happened. But that is their thought. That is their opinion. See, the thought line on this is where opinions, labels, and meanings go. Right. So if you're, if you're looking at this and somebody says you are worthless, that is their thought, right? That the, the circumstance was, is that my wife or husband, you know, for this, let's just person A, person A said words to you. That's the circumstance. Now what they, right? Like if there's a fact, right? If a fact has to be undeniable, a fact can be proven without a reasonable doubt. If, some, if person A says you are worthless, that is not a fact, that, right? That is not a fact. The circumstance was, the event was that person A said words to you. The person looked at you and said things at you. That is the fact. Their opinion is you're worthless. But what ends up happening is that we hear somebody say we're worthless and we take that as the event. We take that as a circumstance, as the fact. The fact is they did say words to us, but the words they said to us were an opinion. If person A said, you're the most amazing human on the planet, that's still their opinion. A thousand other people could have a different opinion. If you walk up to a thousand people and say, what do you think about me? The fact that they say words back to you is the circumstance, right? And always always remember, circumstance is an event, right? A circumstance is something that happens. It's like, I, I you know, um, so let's see, what, what is a good one? Like uh, you, you, you're, you drove to work. I was, I was driving to work. That is the circumstance. That's the event, right? So always remember that the circumstance, it's like the action that you're, that you're actually doing. If a thousand people saw you driving down the street, what would they, 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 they would say, oh, what is that person doing? They're driving their car, right? That's the fact. Now, if a thousand people, you ask them, what do you think about me? 500 say you're worthless. 500 say you're amazing. That's still their opinion. You choose which one that you actually honestly believe. It's your choice. To, to, to believe who you want to believe. What ends up happening is that we have this filter, right? We, we experience everything through our five senses, right? So you're seeing, you're hearing, you're tasting, you're smelling, you're touching, right? Well, we have the filters that we experience our entire life through, which is those five senses. And so I think out of nowhere, my Siri just started talking to me. I've never understood why she does that. I, I don't, for the life of me, figure out how out of nowhere she just starts to talk. I'll tell you this much. This is whenever I think that the, our devices are always listening to us. <laughs> Seriously, whenever I'm just walking back and forth in my room shooting this show, and then out of nowhere, a device starts to talk, I'm going to put it on airplane mode. Listen to my podcast like everybody else on iTunes <laughs> or Spotify. I think Spotify is where a lot of you find me. Okay, off of that. We experience our life through our five senses. What ends up happening is that a filter is created, right? So a filter could be a a positive or negative about ourselves. So if 500 people tell you that you're awesome versus 500 people tell you that you're worthless, you're choosing which one to listen to. And if your filter is that of you feel negatively about yourself, then when 500 people tell you you're amazing, then your thought is, what the hell do you know? You don't know me. You don't know nothing about me. You don't know how much of a worthless piece of crap I really am. Because these 500 people tell me I'm worthless and they're definitely right. 
because you have decided that that's the filter you're going to listen to them from. If you feel amazing about yourself and you think that you're a great singer and 500 people tell you that you're horrible and 500 people tell you that you're amazing and you really honestly think that you're a great singer, you're just going to believe the 500 people who tell you you're amazing. Even if one of those people who tells you you're horrible is Simon Cowell, you're not going to care because what the hell does he know? He's just one person. So when, and the reason why I'm talking about identity and and the filters that you're running all your information through is because when you go to these addiction recovery meetings and they're having you say, I am an addict, I am an addict, I am an addict, I am an addict. What do you think your mind's hearing? If the answer is I'm an addict, then you're correct. And, 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 this is, and this is why. If I tell you, do not picture a pink elephant, do not picture a blue horse, do not picture a green rhinoceros, you're going to picture those because the mind doesn't understand negatives. This is one of the, this is something I learned in neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, that, I, that blew my mind, that the mind doesn't get negatives. When you tell your kid or a kid, when you hand them a glass full of orange juice and say, don't spill the orange juice, their brain is picturing spilling the orange juice because don't spill the orange juice. The brain doesn't doesn't get that because then you're just asking them to picture themselves holding a glass of orange juice, right? That's what you're really wanting them to picture, them holding the glass of orange juice, them drinking the glass of orange juice, them continuing to hold the glass of orange juice for it to not fall on the ground and spill everywhere. But you're saying, don't spill the orange juice. The brain doesn't hear the don't. It never will. Don't picture a pink elephant. Don't picture a blue horse. What did you just do? And if you were fighting and say, nope, I didn't picture a pink elephant because I told myself, don't picture a pink elephant. Don't. So I pictured a gray elephant. <laughs> that doesn't work that way. There, your mind's eye is still seeing a pink elephant. You can try to deny it all you want. Now, the point being here is that if you continue to say that I am an addict, I am an addict, I am an addict, all your brain is is hearing is that you're an addict. And you can have 20 years of sobriety, but you're still being told you're an addict. And my concern about that is that if you're constantly telling yourself that you're an addict, an addict, an addict, after 20 years, and you still think that you're an addict, then if you something happens and you can't hit your normal Tuesday night meeting, you can't call your sponsor the, at the usual time, all of a sudden there's like this whirlwind of, oh my God, I've, I've, I've missed a part of my addiction recovery. That's it. I'm going to use. I'm going to use. I have to keep this armor up. This, I've got, you know, got to find, oh, I've got, I'm, I'm putting my arms up like I'm an old 1920s fighter, right? I'm like, I got to fight this addiction off because I'm an addict and I'm an addict and I'm an addict. that is not healthy. I get that AA has helped tens of thousands of people get sober. And I'm going to say this, and it's going to offend some people, but it is just a fact. AA has also not helped tens of thousands of people stay sober. The, the relapse rate in AA, like in any other program, is going to be way higher than the retention rate. Because there are tens of thousands of factors that play in to whether you ever actually go off and use alcohol or drugs or food or whatever your vice is ever again. There's a ton of, every, every single person has got thousands of reasons why they might stay sober or why they might go use. So you multiply that by the hundreds of millions of people that are addicts and now you're looking at billions and billions of reasons why people might use or stay sober. Only you know what will keep you from using, and only you know what will possibly 
send you toward relapse. And we've all heard that relapse happens well before you ever actually use again. And I think that one of the reasons why it, it, it ends up happening is that because people can't release themselves from the identity that they're an addict. At the beginning stages, I can definitely see why that is helpful to, because at the, you know, it's like literally you just, you just wrangled that boa constrictor out from around your neck. So you need to be deathly afraid of boa constrictors. It has been suffocating you and choking you to death for decades. And now it's time to release the boa constrictor. You're like, ah, and you just, you finally get the boa constrictor off and you throw it away. So yeah, <laughs> there should be some fear around that boa constrictor. You should want to stay away from boa constrictors for as long as possible. But as the months become years, become decades, or however long it, it takes for you to start feeling comfortable with your sobriety and your, and your addiction recovery plan, at some point, you can't constantly be hiding from this metaphorical boa constrictor. You're going to go to a, a, a work event and there's going to be alcohol there. Somebody around you is going to be drunk. You're going to go to a barbecue. It's going to happen. You're going to go to a restaurant and then there's alcohol at restaurants. You can't be running from the boa constrictor your entire life. It's not feasible. I wish it was, but then again, no, I don't. People can do whatever they want to do. I go to a restaurant. I see people getting drinking some wine. I'm either like, wow, that's really awesome that those people can have one glass of wine and stop because I would have that one glass of wine would have led me to 50 more. Or I go to a bar and I see people pounding back shots and I'm like, wow, that, you know, that really sucks for them. I'm having, I'm having a good time. I don't need all those shots. I'm certainly not going to wake up with a hangover that they're going to wake up with. And maybe they're lucky and they don't need to drink the moment they wake up with a hangover like I did. But I didn't. I wasn't able to do that. If I woke up with a severely bad hangover, I would just drink until my body rejected alcohol. And then I would just sit there and detox myself for days. <laughs> right? But my point is, is that you can't cocoon yourself away from the boa constrictor your entire life. But at the beginning stages, yes, I, I, I can see why there is a healthy benefit to saying, I'm an addict, I'm an addict, because you want to hammer that in that you cannot use anymore, that you cannot be a part of that. For me, I didn't feel that because as soon as I got sober, I was just so grateful that I could finally live my life without it. In the first month, I was going through horrible, horrible detox pains. The first six weeks of my sobriety, I kept a bottle of bourbon, a couple bottles of wine, and a 12-pack of beer in my room. Just and seriously, this is going to sound whack to some of you, and don't, I don't recommend doing this. I don't. I'm just telling you my experience. I did it because I wanted to make sure I was serious. I wanted to make sure that I was ready for this journey. Like, Jesse, if you're not ready for this journey, then here you go. You don't even have to go to a store. It is in a drawer next to your bed. But this is what we want to do. This is what we've needed to do. This is what we desire from ourselves is to stay sober and to start experiencing life sober, to start unearthing the suffering and the pain and the trauma that you've gone through that has led you to this place. Please, on everything holy and sacred, would you stay sober? And I did. I don't recommend everybody do that, but that's what I did because I needed to know. And I didn't go to meetings and say I was an addict because I wasn't. 
I was in addiction recovery. It's why I start this show off like that every single week. So when you go to these meetings, you're going to say whatever you want to say. Just know that when you're starting, when you when you're attaching, I am worthless. I am an addict. I am not good enough. Nobody loves me. When you're repeating this stuff to yourself, time and time and time and time again, it is literally cementing itself into your identity. And the longer and longer you do that, if you unfortunately were told as a child that you were worthless, that you were a piece of crap, if you suffered horrible traumas, the longer and longer that you were told that, the more and more you believed it. And then you became old enough to get your hands on something that would mask that pain. And then you became an addict. Or then you became anorexic or bulimic or something because you were just traumatized so badly that you just didn't know what else to do. And so you ended up taking all that pain and trauma from your childhood and carrying that with you. And then rather healing, rather than healing from it, when you got old enough to even understand that you could, you began to mask it. And then that masking of it further damaged you because then you were inside your head. Now you didn't need your parents or whoever traumatized you as a child telling you that you were worthless and you were unworthy and you, no one was ever going to love you because you, you took up the, the microphone instead. He said, you know what, you guys, you, you, you didn't even know. You, didn't even, you don't even know how to get to my psyche, but I do. So give me that microphone so I can further traumatize myself for the next years and years and decades and decades and half of a century. <laughs> nope, nope, just trust me, mom, dad, whoever traumatized me. I got this. I'm, I'm better at this than you. And now you're inside your head and you're just beating the holy hell out of yourself. The only one that can heal you is you. If I could sit here and say a 10,000 things about you that are amazing and you won't believe them unless you choose to believe them, unless you truly believe them about yourself, your sponsor, your therapist, your psychiatrist, whoever you reach to or toward, whoever you lean on in your addiction recovery, if you don't honestly believe that the things that they're saying, it's not going to get through. And if everything they're saying is coming through this filter of I'm worthless, I'm an addict and no one will ever love me, then it's not going to get in. It's not. Not until you start figuring out ways to prove to yourself that you're worthy of love, that you have worth, and that you are a valuable member of society. And in some cases, that's going to be literally destroying the identity that you have latched onto since you were a kid and coming up with a whole new one. Go out there and find your passions, talents, skills, and hobbies that you so loved at whatever stage in your life and figure out a way to incorporate those back into your life now. That's what's fueled me, right? I love learning. I love experiencing. I I, I love to talk about the things that I've learned and, and experienced. And so I just, just keep, everything that I ever found joy in in my life came back when alcohol and drugs left because now I was sober enough to enjoy them instead of just sitting on my bed, watching television, drinking my life away. Changing your identity is not easy. It's definitely possible. That is a fact. And this is how we know it's a fact. Because tens of thousands of millions of people have done it. Some of them were addicts. Some of them weren't. But people can change their identity anytime they choose to. Bernie Madoff. Is it Bernie Madoff, I think? He's the guy who had the Ponzi scheme. He's in crazy prison now for years for all the money he stole. He could literally 
come out if he ever gets out and be like, that's it. I want to do nothing but philanthropy and I want to save the planet and I'm going to raise all this money and give it to elephants. He could. He could just choose to have a different identity. Instead of wanting to rip people off so he could have money and they could have none, he could choose to give, 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 give. May not necessarily be what his internal programming um, has been coded for. Right? It's like, in a way, we're all in, inside of a matrix. Like, follow me on follow me on this analogy. We're all code, right? We've all been we've all coded ourselves a certain way. We were coded as a child. All these other people, you know, they they started bringing in all their opinions and thoughts and experiences and, 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 and showing them us and giving to them us and being a part of that, right? And so this code of who we are and what our identity is and and all this stuff. If I said, you know, if I asked you, who are you? You probably immediately start throwing out to me all the labels, your name, your height, your weight, where you were born, what college you went to, but that's not who you are. Who you are is like your unconscious psyche. It's your soul, right? But we're, we're locked in this idea that who we are is what we have and what we've done and what we've experienced. And it's all these labels and meaning society has placed upon us. And so we're coded with all of this. You have the ability to change the code. As a kid, there's only so much ability you have because you're really you're at the mercy of other people's whims. You know, the, you don't know how to cook your own food. You can't go buy your own clothes, right? So you're at the whims, but now you're older. Now you have the choices. Now you can start to recode yourself. An app that was built one way can't necessarily just overnight become a different app. You got to go in there and you got to change all the code and it could take years to do that. But you'll start to see the benefits almost immediately if you start to just change little tweaks, little minor things. And to me, not saying that I'm an addict, to me, embracing myself in addiction recovery, to me, whenever I have a negative thought about myself, be like, okay, well, what's, what's, what's that? why is that negative thought there? Why is, it, why is that negative feeling there? Finding the root of it and seeing, well, is that really how it happened? Could I see it a different way? Could I think of it a different way? If someone, if person A caused trauma to you, could you look at that person and be like, what kind of pain must they have been going through to have done this to me? And it doesn't absolve them of their crimes towards you. It doesn't make it okay by any stretch of the imagination. We're not looking to vindicate them. We're not looking to release them from, from what they have done. They still did this heinous thing towards you and to you. But at the same time, there's a different way to see it. Wow, how much pain must my dad have been going through that he didn't know how to express himself to me, that he just worked constantly to provide things, to show me his love by giving me things, you know, by only through things that came with receipts. How much pain must have he been in? I bet you he would love to have come home early and thrown the football with me or thrown the baseball and hugged me and told me he loved me. But he didn't know how to do that because his dad didn't do it to him and his dad's dad didn't do it to him and so on and so forth. How much pain must have my dad been going through that he couldn't express himself the way I know he truly would have wanted to? Right? There's a way I can reframe that trauma that I have from my childhood, and there's a way you can reframe it too. And again, we're not absolving anyone of what they've done to you. We're not absolving them. We're not releasing them from the heinous tr- crime towards you, from the trauma they cause. But forgiveness isn't for the other person. Forgiveness is for yourself. It's for yourself so you can start to recode your identity. And while I've stuck on this part of the topic for almost the whole show, now we get right slide the suicide portion into it. Because if the depression and the suicide you have is so great, one, please, by all means, 
call a suicide hotline. Call a place that you can get help, right? Do not say, well, Jesse told me if I just do this, everything will be fine, and so I'm not going to call the suicide hotline. Don't do that. 1-800-273-8255. There are are people out there who will talk to you. Um, I found one earlier that had the word talk into it, but by all means, if you need seriously help with that in that regard, I am not a medical professional. I am not someone who should be relied upon to get you through that kind of heinous, um, horrible feeling that is leading you to those thoughts. I'm not. But what I will say, and what I can say very confidently, is that if you've gotten yourself to that point of depression where you think suicide's your only way out, it's, it's because inside your head, you're, you're telling yourself you're not worthless. You're not worthy of love. Everyone would be better off without you. And that's just not true. My mother tried to commit suicide multiple times in my 20s. And I will tell you what, as angry with her as I was, I just, I could, I, I could not understand why she thought that was the way out, why she thought that was what she should be doing. I, I really sincerely wish I could go back and do things differently and talk to her about that and find out what kind of pain must she have been in to think that that was the only solution. When we know there are thousands of other solutions because thousands of other people have gotten through those suicidal and depressive thoughts and been able to make it to the other side and do great things with their lives. I can assure you there were tons of thoughts of committing suicide whenever I was a drunk. But I always knew that I couldn't do that because I hadn't even tried any other alternative. How could I sit there in my room, smashed out on two handles of vodka, saying suicide's the only way when I hadn't even tried anything else? I've definitely heard that suicide is a um, selfish act because you get to release yourself from your pain, but what you end up doing is causing everybody else traumatic, traumatic pain. And how do you think they're going to go with that? Oh, this person will be better off without me. Really? <laughs> right? But no, they have to know that you wanted out so badly, so badly, that you loved them so little that you thought that was the way out rather than all the other infinite options. And now for the person who is probably listening who we were DMing about this, by no means is this a question of your, uh, of your strength or your masculinity or your manhood. That is not what we're talking about because you're going through addiction recovery and you've been going back and forth and you've been living through this. And there is no one on this planet who should ever be able to question anyone, let alone me, question somebody's fortitude. Absolutely not. But I, what I want here is a clarity of thinking. That when we think that there are no other solutions, there are thousands of solutions. And when we think the only solution is this one thing, right? Running away, right? It doesn't even have to be suicide. It could be like literally getting in the car and just driving away. Be like, they'll be better off without me, right? And, and I get movies and TV aren't necessarily real life, but art imitates life. Life imitates art. How many times have we seen somebody on a television or a movie, their parent runs away and then they go off and find them 20 years later and they say things like, why couldn't you love me enough to stay? Why couldn't you love me enough to tell me the pain you were going through? Why couldn't you love me enough to just show me the kind of, 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 of attention that I desired and be there for me? If you couldn't be there for yourself, at least be there for me. And remember, the reason why life and art imitate one another is because there's human freaking beings writing these stories. 
And all they're doing is literally taking something that they've experienced or seen or heard or whatever it might be, and they're putting it down on paper, and that becomes a TV or movie. It's not like freaking AI computers are writing this stuff. Humans are. So the reason why this keeps happening in these stories is because people out there are experiencing it. You have the choice to release your identity from somebody who is not worth worth anything, who is not lovable, right? You have the opportunity to do that. I have this internal part of me that thinks that I am not worthy of love. I battle with it constantly. If my mother could love me so little, has to leave me at 18 years old, run off with another man, squander my dad's fortune, try to commit suicide multiple times, and ultimately drink herself to death, when I was over here trying to become something amazing so that she could see what amazing son she raised, and she couldn't even stick around for the good part of it. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's that internal voice that tells me that I'm not worthy of love. Because if I wasn't worthy of my mom's, then who the hell love can I possibly be worthy of? And it's a shitty feeling. But then I push it aside and say, you know what? That's not what she was going through. How, what do you think she was really going through? What about the pain and the suffering she was having because her mother didn't love her enough or her father ran out on her when she was a young kid, left her with a brother and a sister and a mom, and nobody was mentally, nobody was mentally prepared or emotionally mature enough to handle that situation. No wonder she thought of suicide. But again, that's selfish because she never even tried to sober up. She never even tried to change her life in a way that actually left a, a, a long, a continuous mark. She never even tried. So just try. Get out of your own head. Start to realize that by being a person of service and, and showing love and being there for other people, that they will then see that you're there for them, so they'll want to be there for you. They'll, they'll return the love that you're offering, and it becomes a different kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Before, when person A told you that you were worthless because you never showed up on time and you didn't pick up the kids and you, did, you didn't show your, your children love and you were always distant and you were isolated and you were selfish, instead, you become close. You become part of the family. You give of yourself you, you show up on time. You have open, honest, vulnerable communication with the people that you love. See how that becomes a positive feedback loop. There are infinite more ways to deal with one's life than to end it. And when we latch ourselves on to the negative identity, we just begin to spiral to the point where where ending it all just seems like the only real way out. And it never is. It's not the way out. The only way out is through, through the pain, through the suffering, through the sadness. And you do that by healing. And you do the healing by talking about it, by getting out of your head and writing it down or doing a podcast or a vlog or a blog. Because when things are inside your head, they're not tangible. You have to pull them out of your head, put them down on paper where you can touch them, you can see them, you can say them out loud, you can repeat them out loud. That's when it becomes tangible. That's when it becomes something that's not just a random thought running amok in your head, but it's something in front of you that you can begin to change. Releasing 
releasing, <laughs> releasing yourself from this negative identity and, be, and stepping into a positive identity is like the bedrock foundation for your sobriety. It is the beginning and the continuation of your addiction recovery. I won't say that I'm an addict at any of these meetings ever. I don't care what anyone says about that. Because I am not an addict. I am in addiction recovery. I am not white knuckling through this. I am growing through this. I am healing through this. I am learning through this. And I am becoming a better human being every single day. And I am not special. I am not unique. You can do this too. More than likely, you already are. And for those of you who think you're not, you probably already are anyways, but you're just seeing it through this negative filter I've talked about. But I'm telling you, there is an amazingness in every single one of us. And for those of you who think there's not, there are resources out there for you to call and for you to talk to. If you think you're not connecting with your sponsor or your therapist or your your shrink or psychologist or whatever, call up one of these suicide prevention numbers. Call up one of these talk lines. If you're not connecting with them, just keep calling. Tell them, transfer me. I don't like you. Transfer me. I don't like you until you find the right person. But don't walk away from a person because your first inclination is this isn't a person who's going to be able to help me because they don't look like me. They're not, they're not the same gender, the same age, the same sex, the same race, whatever that is. Because I'll tell you what, some of the most amazing people who taught me some of the most amazing things don't look anything like me, don't sound anything like me, are nowhere near my age, not my race. They're not my creed. They're not the same sexuality. Everyone has something to teach you. If you just stop and listen, be vulnerable, share stories about yourself, release the negative identity and start to encapsulate and embrace this new version of yourself. That's it. I could talk about this forever, but I I feel like I'm going in in circles now. I think I'm starting to repeat it myself. And and I think that I've, I've hammered it home as well as I possibly can. But remember, you know, the whole reason I'm even talking about this now is because we are finishing up, you know, stop tolerating and buffering and cross addiction reaction response. So there have been, uh, since I did episode 46 and that was my three years sober, done some Q and a episodes. And this was, this was some Q and a brought up, you know, when it comes to suicide, when it comes to calling yourself an addict, and for any of you out there contemplating any um, kind of suicide, please just know there are other ways. There are infinitely other ways. And if it means starting by calling the, the suicide hotline and talking to them, you know, again, it's, you know, the number I found is 1-800-273-8255. You don't need to write that down. You're on a device. You're listening to me talk on a podcasting app. You can just open up Google and type it in. And I guarantee you, this is just a this is just a random one I found. I bet you there's one specifically for whatever drug you're addicted to or whatever alcohol you love. Just know that there's always help. I am but a small player in a gigantic ocean of people here willing to be of service for you. Just find the person who resonates with you and then seek them out regularly. I love you all. Power, positive energy, release and flow, inclusive over exclusive. As always, be kind to one another. You never know what kind of pain somebody is going through. Be kind. Take care. Bye-bye. 